Welcome back, Warriors. Tansei Sego Anibuju, Kwe Nin Deluizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This, this podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, but at the same time, revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty on Turtle Island. And today, I am so thrilled to be talking to Chef David Wolfman, the kitchen warrior on Turtle Island. He is not only a classically trained chef, but he's also a culinary arts professor at George Brown College here in Toronto. Most of you likely know him from his show, Cooking with the Wolfman, where he prepares traditional foods with a modern twist. Uh, or you might be familiar with his awesome cookbook that he co-wrote with Marlene Finn entitled Cooking with the Wolfman, Indigenous Infusion. And I am such a huge fan. I have the cookbook sitting beside me. I use it regularly. I've watched the shows. I've followed your career. Welcome to the show, Chef Wolfman. Well, well thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm just, I'm so excited. Like I was telling my friends for months, you know, that's the one person I'd love to have on here to talk about, you know, what it means to be a warrior in another context, in a food context, in a in a cooking context. And they said, well, what do you have to lose by reaching out to him? And oh, I'm just so thankful that you took time from your busy schedule to be here. Okay. And um, I'm wondering if, for all the people that are listening, if you'd like to introduce yourself in the way that you would like to do it, where you're from, your background, your community. Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thank you again for having me. I, I really love uh, sharing knowledge, which is something that my mom has always taught me, uh, uh, that uh, it's the most important part of, of our day is sharing what we know. Uh, my mom uh, and, and some of the others have also said, it's not ours to hold on to, it's it's ours to share. Right? It was given to us to share. So um, uh, my name, uh, again, is David Wolfman. My uh, name was given to me by my family of Spashish, um, which uh, means, uh, translates not perfectly in English, but uh, like the one that looks after the community. And then I got that name from my uncle, uh, which uh, apparently uh, I just recently found out he used to go down and dry salmon uh, in the West Coast. Um, uh, we're originally from Hawkup First Nations, which is just outside of Lillooet, BC. And his uh, job, uh, well, it's not his job, but he sort of took on the role of sharing uh, salmon. So when he uh, would, when the whole community would go down and dry salmon, um, some people couldn't get down there. So he would bring it all back to the community and share it. So they gave him that name. And in our community, the way they give you a name is you get a name from somebody else. And uh, if it meets your sort of character uh, and um, the way you are, then that's how, and that's how I got it, which is kind of funny because I share food all the time. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, like how how our traditions work, even our naming, um, and and our relationship to our community. It's always a relationship to someone else. So I, I know before we started this interview, we were just having a little chat about um, some of your influences. Can you talk a little bit about some of your influences when you were younger? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we. Uh... Or I, I grew up in downtown Toronto in Regent Park, and I always kind of joke around saying it's the, uh, at that time, it was the largest reserve in Canada, uh, you know, because <laughs> there was a lot, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of us living in the Regent Park area, right? And um, 
Um, well, it wasn't the largest, but to me it was. Mm -hmm. And um, so my mom left the reserve. I met my dad who worked on the, the, the railway and they came to Toronto and had a family. And so I only heard about the stories from my mom and my mom would always tell me about, uh, you know, the salmon. And I remember even one day uh, being going to the store and she brought some salmon and she had a tear in her eye and I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, it just, it's, it's kind of funny that we get these last pieces of salmon here in the store and they cost us so much money. And she said, uh, you know, she, when we got home, she sat there as she was cooking, telling me the story about how they used to have just so just abundances of salmon mm. uh, all the time. And that she really missed home. And then she started to tell me some of the stories. So, so hearing my mom tell me all these stories, I, you know, even when I was young, I, I remember they were really interesting. And then I kind of got to a point, um, when I guess you start maturing at age seven or eight, <laughs> at least I thought I was. Anyway. <laughs> you know, Mom, I've heard this story. Mom, I've heard this story. And then uh, sometimes you get that way. And then uh, I remember one of my cousins when I was uh, a little bit older told me, you know, wow, these stories are amazing. Did you ask her about this? And did you ask her about that? And, and she said, you know, our elders won't be around. And I said, wow. And she, it really impacted me. And I thought, you know, th that's true. You know, and, and I, I sat down with my mom and I was hearing one of the stories and I wanted to ask him more details. Tell me more about that. And it had nothing to do with what I thought was the same old story my mom was telling me. And it just opened my eyes. And like I said to you earlier, opened my ears to actually sit and listen. And even my mom used to say, hey, we got two ears and one mouth. So you should listen twice as much as you say. <laughs> <laughs> That's good she, advice. Which she said to me quite commonly. But um, she was definitely one of my mentors. You know, uh, she... Um, would always find a way to take some food and, and make something up. And, um, you know, uh, we we didn't have a whole lot. So when she, you know, we'd look in the fridge, my mom, all of a sudden my mom had a, had a meal. I thought, how did she do that? There was hardly anything in the fridge. And even um, when I was uh, at the um, young age of nine years old, I remember um, my mom was baking some bread in the kitchen. And most of the time she did that because it was just flour and water and, and some, you know, some loving agents or whatever else she would put in it. And I remember smelling it and I was so hungry. And I went in there to to scoop something. And my mom said, what are you doing snooping around in here? And I said, well, I'm here to, I'm here to help, mom. Uh, and really, uh, my drive uh, wasn't, uh, you know, really to help. My drive was hunger, right? And I had a hunger for for food, and then which turned into a hunger for knowledge. Because uh, when I sat there and my mom put my ap an apron on and she took the bread out of the oven and she said, look at these pieces are all broken and we should eat these ones. And you know, slathered a bunch of margarine on there and we, we, we munched it. And then, you know, hence a wonderful relationship started with my mom of just spending time in the kitchen. You know, um, it didn't seem like a whole lot to the rest of our family, but I treasured those moments of going in there because two things, one, I got to eat first. <laughs> and, and secondly, I just heard some amazing stories and really got to know my mom. And so she was one of my mentors. And unfortunately I never made it to her home, which I consider my home. Um, in uh in bc until after she passed but when i went there uh it was later in my life and i remember I, I tried to get there and the roads were closed and that's just the way i remember going down there saying they said oh the, the road is closed from an avalanche and i went avalanche we have oh, avalanches no. here and they said oh yeah and uh they I said well there must be another road and i went well it's around it's around the mountain i said well let's go and they said well it takes a day you gotta go all the way around <laughs> And all of this, and I thought the mountain can't be that big, but they were, right? And uh, you know, it just wasn't just going around the mountain. You had to go down to another town and then take another. You know, and, and I remember trying a few times to go back home. Um, you know, in my twenties, that it and then it just never worked. So I never, it wasn't a, a peak interest of mine at the time. So eventually, I did go, and 
And when I remember getting to it, there was still the log cabin still there that my mom grew up in. And um, I remember going there and I was with Marlene and uh, we were just um, having fun and we had the camera rolling and I was kind of talking and, uh, you know, trying to do a documentary, which the, the the video didn't work on this, unfortunately, but the audio did. And I remember saying to, my, uh, to Marlene, um, my wife, um, all of a sudden I just started telling these stories that my mom told me. And and it just kept coming through me. I was like, wow. And my, I said, well, see this bush here? This is a bush that my mom used to wait in the spring. And, and I just started remembering them all. I didn't, I didn't, I had no clue where it came from, but it was just fascinating that, that kind of came back to me. And, and, you know, she would talk about the mountains and the, and the fish and, and, um, even, even the way that they looked at life, uh, you know, um, it, it was, you know, we call it sustainability and they call it a way of life. You know, I mean, they, they have what, um, uh, we call e uh, ecological indicators. Uh, I was talking to one of the elders, uh, Art Adolf, out there, and he was, that's what he called them. He said, we look at, we look around at, at the earth, and this tells us when we do what we do. So some of those things are amazing. Wow. And and to actually, you know, have all of those stories come back, and for you to to almost know the place just from your mom's stories, I think that's pretty special. Yeah, well, I think that's what we do, though, too, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, part of what we do is tell stories, and our story is something that's um, that we add color to it, you know, uh, you know, and then we share it all the time, and it's told. and And I remember one of the elders also telling me, uh, I sat there and I was telling the story, and and he, this, this uh, chap was uh, talking to me, and and he said, you know, you can um, share the story and add your own kind of has to it and so i turned around and said uh, i went on stage and said well like the elder said to me i can say anything i want as long as it's related to the story and he came on that stage and said that's not what i said <laughs> he he um it was just a small group of people i was with and uh, he kind of said what i said was that um you know keep to the story but you can add your own flavors to it you know just make sure that the base of the story is real so and I remember hearing that, uh, and I remember hearing that from other people too, right? That that it was really important. So, you know, as uh, I think that as long as we understand what the story is about, you know, we're all going to change it a little bit, uh, add our own flavors, like like a recipe, like uh, yeah, food all the time. Exactly. I was just thinking that's exactly like a recipe. When you get a recipe from your parents or your aunties or someone, and then you're like, well, you know, maybe I'll try a little bit of this spice or a little bit of that herb, and and change it up a little bit and so it's the same core recipe just a little flavor different flavor yeah and maybe maybe you can't get those traditional items as well you know? yeah we yeah that's true too yeah um so so clearly your mom was your mentor she was also you know passing down culture and knowledge and and stories and they've had a huge impact on you and and have stayed with you and when do you think um you know this impact uh, that your mom had on you with cooking and food and the importance of food and and sharing and not wasting. How did that translate into you deciding that you wanted to go to culinary school and actually become a chef? Well, it actually uh, came from, I think, the fact that we didn't have a lot of food at home. And I remember um, applying for a couple of jobs and one of the jobs that I, I got was uh, working in the kitchen. And I remember walking into this um, storeroom that was massive and it was filled with food and a fridge and a freezer that was filled with food. And I remember even the, 
the the people that I worked with there, they said, you're allowed to, uh, during our lunch break, they, they made food for us. And they had a simple rule, take whatever, you know, take as much as you want, just make sure you eat it. Don't just don't take it up to the staff room and not eat it. And that they kind of, you know, it was spoken. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people wasted food. Like they would take uh, desserts and everything and not even eat them. And I remember hearing that and I thought, wow, I cannot believe I'm surrounded by this much food. And I thought, this is a career I want to have. And, you know, again, I think it came from the fact that we didn't have a lot at our home. Mm -hmm. We had food. I mean, we didn't starve or nothing, but we certainly didn't have, uh, you know, abundances, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. food, which was, I think, normal to most of uh, most of my friends at that time. So when I saw all of that, I thought, wow, this is great. And the other thing was when we fed people, even though these were people who didn't know, there was something about that. I remember going out in the dining room in this exclusive club that I worked at at the National Club. And all of the, the, the people were talking. They were all business people. And, and it, was, it was almost, it was, to me, it was crazy. I worked in a fast food restaurant and I went to this high-end club where they didn't um, take money from people. You know, they, they build them and charge them at the end of the month. And I remember asking uh, one of the people I worked with, I said, well, what if they don't pay you at the end of the month? And they were laughing at me. <laughs> they said, no, no. They'll pay you. And I said, well, where I'm from, you, you pay first and then you get your meal. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, no, no. We, they, they've been pretty good so far. So we're hoping that they're still doing it, right? And of course, I was just a young a young guy. And, and so I thought this was a really cool place to work. And I did a four-year apprenticeship there. And I learned a lot about food and a lot about um, not wasting. You know, here I was. I came from home, but we didn't waste anything because, you know, we just didn't. And, um, and then I worked for a chef who was... What I thought was just the norm, like my mom, that we would save things. He would save every possible thing and reutilize, take the trimmings off of the tops of celery or tomatoes and put them in a soup or a stock. Or, and so I just thought that was normal where it actually wasn't so uh, like he was pretty crazy. Um, but um, well, crazy in a, in a good sense that he came from an era, too, that he came from a war era. So he was all about saving money. So I thought that that was the norm in the industry where. Actually, you know, the norm in the industry, not to say we didn't have good quality food, but the norm in the industry was the food, uh, good quality food first, you know, and then there's some waste and those wastes, you know, if we can utilize them, that was the norm, which I didn't realize. I remember going into the the college uh, when I was 16 years old and saying, well, this is how you make a meat sauce. You take all these trimmings from cooked foods. And and I remember my teacher saying, where did you learn that, right? (laughs) We're going to use real meat. And I said, well, this is real meat. And they said, no, no, we're going to use raw meat. We're going to cook it. And so it was a lot of um, uh, um, things that I had learned, which were basically embedded. uh, You know, let's let's make sure that we uh, utilize food and let's make sure that we share food um, and, and, and not waste it. So that, that was the, the thing. And, and I just love the fact that again, going back to that dining room, when everybody was talking, everybody was at, as soon as the food came out, everybody got quiet and it was just, you created something that was just nourishing them. And I guess it's almost like that, that bird that comes over and feeds their, their little, you know, little birds. Right. And then mm. quiet, they're all screaming and, that, and then you feed them all and they're all eating and they're all content. So I, I don't know if that was deep down. That's what it was that, that sort of, uh, taking care of people, but I guess it was. And uh, so that that's what started um, me to learn uh, traditional, and when I say traditional, I mean traditional French cuisine, because that's what I learned at George Brown College. And it wasn't until later that I actually um, ended up um, heading to the Native Center one day. Learned, I wanted to learn more about, because I grew up in the city. 
So I didn't know much about uh, culture, my culture. And mm-hmm. I remember going in there, first thing they said, you're a chef, we all, we love you. And then, you know, as soon as everybody, like everybody says to me, you're a chef, you got any food? Right? <laughs> it's the normal thing, right? Uh, which uh, started me sort of in that direction of, of getting to know uh, our foods and then uh, creating what I call indigenous fusion, you know, where I take our traditional foods and maybe make it in a French style or European style or Spanish style, or even like our indigenous cousins of the South, a, uh, uh, um, a ceviche or something like that. That's awesome. I, I really, I really, really like that idea that, you know, you're, you're trained as a, you know, a, a classic chef, it's in traditional French cuisine, and you're going to the Native Canadian Centre, and they're just so happy that you're a chef, because us as Native people, well, I mean, every community event has some kind of feast, so we just, we love everything, you know, that food represents, and it's like this no- sharing or exchange of knowledge, like you were talking about earlier, you know, knowledge isn't for hoarding, it's for sharing. And so you've got folks at the Native Canadian Centre sharing with you uh, things you want to learn and you sharing with them. And I think that's that kind of represents the, you know, some of the values and traditions of our communities. And and I can see now how how your work, you know, both on TV and in your in your book and stuff is it's about infusion. It's um, and, and infusion itself is almost like sharing and 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 mixing. So I think that's that's pretty amazing. It's um it it just shows that the ways of our people can, you know, benefit us if we just share our knowledge uh and, and our background. And so from I mean from there you're you're a classically trained chef. Mm-hmm. Um what how did you get started in cooking with the wolfman? Like how did that all come about? Because you know I've watched so many episodes and I just I love how they have titles that you know native people could recognize, you know like the tree line festival or you know the Mississauga trap line. Like it's very it's very recognizable. It's very familiar to us. People in different regions would know, well, what would you get from a woodland feast, for example, or from the sea? How did, how did you get into that? Well, it, uh, it comes back to um, going to that uh, one time at the Native Center. And, and I think nothing happens by accident. You know, uh, when I went there, they said, oh, uh, we need a hand. We have this feast coming up. And so I volunteered for a feast and um and I, I remember having my uh you know i did what you would do as a chef okay i'll come and volunteer and uh i said i'll cook some food in the kitchen well they said well, we're renovating our kitchen we gutted it so i ended up designing their kitchen for them and um but before that uh we had no kitchen so i said well i can't do nothing in your kitchen like there's nothing in the kitchen and so i ended up making some cakes for them and copying their poster and the one thing I said to them, I said, I'll design that. The only thing I want is cake by David Wolfman. That's it. And then, so I sent them this fax. Please put this on cake by David Wolfman. If there's any questions, here's my phone number. So they wrote cake by David Wolfman and put my phone number and had it beside this cake. And this was, uh, um, I thought it was just a feast. I didn't know who was in it. I didn't even know there was native people in Toronto. I thought I, I've seen a handful, you know what I mean? And yeah. And so it happened to be the dry lips automotive, the capist casing launch. Uh, which had Graham Green and and um, all the usual, uh, as I always say, all the usual suspects. You know, Graham Green mm-hmm. and uh, oh, a whole bunch of um, 
Um, I'm trying to even remember all of the actors, and I didn't even realize that all of these people were there uh, that were that, that were indigenous. And I just thought, oh, just another group of people. And I'm going, wow, there's a lot of native people here. And I remember saying that to one of the ladies, and she was laughing. But I was the guy that was in the kitchen, and I was the only guy in the white coat, white hat, white apron, and my toolbox. Uh, and then everybody was coming in volunteering and saying, Chef, what should I do with this? What should I do with this? And I said, Well, what is it? It's a moose stew. And I said, Can I taste it? Oh, please. And they said, You're the chef. Do whatever you need to do, right? Like if you want to change it up or heat it up or add salt or put some. I said, can I garnish it? And they said, sure. I said, I have a lot of extra garnishes, you know. And I just, I did. That was my job, make things look nice. So everybody came to me and told me, you know, or asked me, what should I do, chef? What should I do? And I just basically took over control of about thirty-five people in the kitchen. Wow. And, and yeah, and it was just purely, you know, some people came in and said, I'm not, I'm not doing whatever you want. I'm doing what I want. I said, that's fine. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. And that, that started off this, um, you know, people uh, coming up to me, thanks for that moose, thanks for this. And I thought, well, and I didn't even never tried moose myself. So I remember tasting some and thinking, this is, this is different. This is good. It's a protein. And, you know, mm -hmm. so I made some modifications to some. Like I said, most of them I just garnished up and, and rearranged on a platter because we had all these platters that we rented. Um, and then everybody and their brother called me because there was all kinds of pictures taken um, uh, from, uh, people like Herbie were there and, 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 uh, um, just taking all kinds of, uh, pictures that went to the media and then people were calling me, Oh, can you, can you cater for me? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I said, well, I better open a catering company because people are just paying me, paying me and I'm buying food and it's not even all the money's going to this, this catering. So I decided to open up a, a catering company, uh, called aboriginal fusion at that time well it wasn't called that but that was my sort of uh, theme where it took uh you know bison and maybe wrapped it in puff pastry and that just started so you know and as a culinary artist you just think okay i have these two items just like a restaurant what can mm -hmm. i make with it? and then you just okay i have puff pastry or i have this or i have uh um you know some rice i can do it this style and then you just make up these things and it's just to me it's a, it's easy to do it's just okay beef it's lamb it's pork it's bison it's caribou and so that's what i would do uh, and then created this uh, that's that's the sort of the birth of the indigenous fusion in the uh 80s uh late 80s early 90s so that was uh you know really kind of uh fun and then from there it just expanded right so um, from there, I had um, um, people calling and asking, you know, uh, can you get wild game? And I said, well, I can't cook, you know, you can't sell wild game. But, you know, I started to do uh, game pâtés and uh, um, wind-dried fish that I would learn from other nations. And I even remember doing a, the, 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 the infamous corn soup. And I remember making the corn soup and I thought... Uh, you know, they gave me the white corn and everything. I thought, you know what? I'm going to put some potatoes, some carrots, some salad. <laughs> and I made this corn soup. And I remember serving it. And some of the elders came up and they went, yeah, this is not corn soup. <laughs> it's soup. And there's corn in it, right? And they're going, no, no, no. This is, you can't do it like this. This is horrible. This is absolutely horrible. Uh, you can't do it. And I thought, well, how about you taste it? And then uh, I'll, I'll make the, some of the traditional way, right? So, you know, I remember a couple of ladies going, well, I didn't like it at all. And I thought. That's why you had two bowls, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, and so, you know, it was, you know, I'm not trying to, I wasn't trying to change, but I was just saying, to me, it was like, wow. And so then I realized that there were some traditional recipes that, you know, I, I had my, well, at the time I was really creative that I needed to respect more and I respected them. And, and even in my book, I have a traditional uh, corn soup recipe that's, 
that even when I make it today, it's just like, wow. And it's just simple. And I don't need to justify it saying that, you know, it needs red and green peppers because I put red and green peppers in everything, right? And Marlene always said to me, what do you love red and green peppers? Because I would always put, because it was colorful, right? Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a chef, we have to make things taste good, look good, uh, and be pleasant to eat. So so those were some of the things. And, and again, like I said, so that started off this indigenous fusion, which started at a catering company and then eventually went to, um, I remember serving somebody uh, at a college in, in uh, Oshawa, Durham College, and um, uh, a lady who hired me, uh, uh, Elizabeth, she said to me, um, um, can you come and do this catering event? I, it was a large catering event. I didn't realize it was for all the profs and all the uh, the, the, the faculty at a, a college. I didn't even know. I just, wow. I just had the address. And so then well, somebody came up to me and said, how about you design a program to run here? And so I designed a part-time program that ran there. It was it ran Friday nights. I was driving to Oshawa on Friday nights. I thought, I don't like this. You know, I was like, are you serious? Three hours to get to a class to teach for an hour and a half or two hours. And it was nice and it was, uh, but it was, it, you know, amongst my catering company. So it, it was challenging, but eventually I did run a, develop a program. So it went there to George Brown college, or we decided to open, um, um, a program at George Brown college with that. And then, uh, somebody phoned me up and said, "Hey, do you think you can do? Uh, do you know any indigenous chefs? We don't know any." And I thought, well, "I uh, have, I know a few." And uh, so um, I came up with this idea uh, to do the uh, the TV show. Somebody approached me and they said, "Can you do some? You know, to cook? Can you work on TV?" And it's it's the same standing in front of a class. It was actually easier because there wasn't the possibilities of you know uh, eighty five students asking you different questions. You know, it was just three cameras that you're staring at, and then eventually five cameras when I, I, I took it to a bigger studio. So, that's awesome. I mean, that's quite a story, right? Because you know, way back in the day when I was growing up, you know, there's no restaurants or TV shows that are saying, you know, here, here's the awesomeness of of native you know, food and native cooking and or anything like that. So you were just so unique in terms of you know what was on tv um you know what was being shared and it was like a real source of pride for people to say yeah that's like that's my food and look at the ways in which you know we can cook it and share it and that kind of thing and i and i like that you you went from this you know tv show cooking with the wolfman but you also have a recipe book and you know your recipe book is like a storybook and I can't help but think that you know the influence of your mom and sharing her stories it's also reflected in your cookbook that I have because you know you'll say oh well my mom used to say this and it would make my sisters and I laugh or so your your recipe book is like wonderful stories it's educational so you talk about you know how to do things but also you know the recipes and the options and different ways of doing things and i really appreciate the story aspect of it because then it's almost like like you're cooking with your mom like how i would cook with my mom for example and it really gives a good feeling well um, like I say, uh, food is sort of the doorway to learning about culture and history and geography. And, and um, you know, Marlene and I sat together and, and it took 30 months to write this. Whoa. And, and uh, even we were just looking at some notes a couple of days ago. And there was files and files and files and files and files of research that um, 
that we both researched out uh, just so that we would get to the point that we wanted to. It, it, it was a tough it was tough because, you know, as an educator, Marlene's an educator as well, uh, but I'm a culinary educator. So I want to um, I want to teach the proper procedure to cooking. I want to teach uh, this is how you cook. This is how you do this. This is how you chop this and and, mm-hmm. and cook at this temperature and, and uh, heat transfer, et cetera, and proteins coagulating and all. And Marlene also wants to make sure that the language is there. And then we also want to make sure our stories are there and we want to have a picture there and we want to have the recipe in there. So <laughs> It was a challenge. Like, like the the uh, publisher said, this is great, uh, but we need to we need to trim it down. And I, you know, and I thought because it should, you know, it was ending up being three and four pages per recipe. Um, so some of the recipes uh, ended up being a lot. We can't change this one, and and uh, the publisher really respected that. They just said, just so you know, right, this is uh, the way. Um, um, you know, the way it has to be, and. Uh, so we wanted to keep the stories, which I think is is, is almost it sets you up for an appetite. You know, when you're reading about a recipe, you know, I mean, it's just it's not how you make it. And some people don't want to hear a story. Some people just want to learn how to quickly cook. Mm-hmm. But this one was is about that. And my mom always, almost that. I'm sure everybody's mom, when you yeah. sat cooking, always told a story about something, whether it was, uh, you know, picking picking berries or how they dried out. I mean, the usual one is, you don't know how lucky we are, right? You know, we yeah, used, yeah. We used to have to pack water, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, I'm so glad that the book came out as it did. I mean, not having seen, you know, the original versions or edits, because I mean, it's just so there's so much joy like this. Like I said, the stories really change what it is. Yeah, sure. It's recipes, but it's also about cooking. It's also about sharing your knowledge. And, you know, the pictures, I, I, love the pictures and not just of the food but of you trying to kiss a fish or (laughs) of what mushrooms look like in the wild like it's 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 real it speaks to our real lived experiences versus just here's what the end product looks like and I think that's like a huge value and one of the things I talk about on this podcast is you know decolonization and one of the ways in which our people have been impacted by colonization is in our diets. As you know, you know, we had traditional or country-based foods. Then we went quite rapidly to rations from Indian agents, which is like white flour, lard, and sugar, to a society that nowadays relies very heavily on processed foods, not even whole foods. So I'm wondering, like in, in all of your experience, you know, growing up and all of this you know, with your professional, you know, cooking experience, how important do you think it is for our people to kind of refocus on good nutrition and cooking our own meals? Well, first, firstly, I think it's, um, I, I think that we're in a world that's moving so quick and that we want convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's always, it, it's, it's always been a challenge, uh, for me, you know, um, if you think of what I do uh, as a chef, uh, I take, you know, reasonable, well, most of the time I take fresh food and then process it. Now, as soon as I start going on bigger numbers, I, I give away some of the quality. You know, I, I might have to fillet a hundred fish or something. And, and I think that for us as, 
as our people, we want to get foods quick. We want to get foods that are simple. You know, when I, I start showing people, well, hey, this, this tastes great. Well, you know, I had a marinated uh, uh, for a night, overnight or two days, and then I smoked it or I had to do this. And then and, and people are like, well, I, I have no time for that. So <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a fight over, um, you know, good quality food and then taking the time to process it. And I think that's uh, it's always been like that, 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 that challenge. So I think uh, for us, we have to want to have good food. And when I plan uh, my, my meals for the week, I'm usually eating really good. When I don't plan, then I'm eating something that's kind of quick. So so I, I, I think it comes down to us thinking about what is it that we want uh, and mm -hmm. how do we do this. And I what I like to do is I like to sort of plan and say, okay, so I'll, I'll see what if I can make this recipe or these two recipes because we all have busy lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Try that. So at least we can start introducing some different styles or different uh, healthier versions of what we're eating, right? You know, and um, whether it's um, cutting out on starches um, or sugars. Um, or, uh, or it's just, uh, maybe smoking some fish. You know, I, I have a whole bunch of uh, my neighbors that just love it when I have my smoker going, I have a digital <laughs> smoker, right? And because I live in the city, you know, every time I light a little wooden fire out in the back, uh, I have, uh, you know, some visitors with a red truck out front, right? Um, wanting to, uh, find out what I'm doing. So I, I, I bought a digital smoker to smoke fish. And like I said, a lot of my friends are like, oh, can I get some of that smoked fish? And you know, again, it's it's slowly introducing back our, some of our traditional foods and just, and just respecting it. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the key things about if you look, you know, back even at my, my mom's generation, you know, they sat around and, and chatted and ate with each other and, and talked. And if I said to, to some some of the younger generation, like some of the students that I have said, oh, um, you know, d dinner took four hours, not four hours. You know? <laughs> I want to, you know, I want that food cooked before I even think about getting uh, eating. And then I want to when I get there, it's, it's got to come to me in two minutes and then I, I need to eat it in eight minutes and then be on my way in a vehicle. Right. So I, I think it's uh, we have to really focus on. Um, that these things, and I think once we do that, then we can mm -hmm. see that, hey, there's a lot of things that we can do and a lot of ways that we can enjoy the food. And, and like you said, as a, as a kitchen warrior, you know, my job is to make sure that, you know, um, we um, respect our food, you know, and in respecting it, I, I, I think that's what, I, what we call a sustainability today. And uh, as uh, some of my uncles and my uh, aunts and my mom would say, it's it was a way of life of how, how do we take this fish and utilize it, even even from taking the innards of the fish before we dried it and sharing it with the bears. Um, we didn't eat them, but if we didn't if we didn't share it, um, then the bears would take all of our fish and, and maybe even take us. Right. So we we uh, we did this way of life that we were. Uh, we took what we wanted, we or we took what we needed, and we shared it with the community. So it's, it's always, to me, been a, a challenge to, well, first of all, learn that uh, growing up as an urban native, right? And then secondly is sharing that. So I think, I think it's uh, about sharing our stories. I think that's where it starts. Yeah, I mean, totally. And, you know, your your recipe book, for example, there are some super quick recipes. Like my absolute favorite is the quick pan fried rainbow trout with herbed butter. I mean, the the fish just cooks so quickly. So, you know, we might have an idea that cooking takes a long time or there's tons of prep, but there are different kinds of food and different kinds of ways in which we can 
we can that are that are fairly quick. Now, uh, when I introduced you, I introduced you as a kitchen warrior, but that actually has more meaning than just the introduction. And I'm wondering, you know, before we let you go here, if you could talk to us, what what is kitchen warriors? Uh, well, Kitchen Warriors actually came from uh, the last season of my show uh, on APTN, which was where we brought some Indigenous youth together. And really what we were trying to do was to expose um, their culinary skills, uh, bring up their confidence level. And like I said, offset uh, to both crews, you know, you're not competing against another group. You're actually competing against yourself of what, what can I do good? Uh, what, what can I do a little bit better than I did yesterday? So that was the, the key. And um, so it was pushing themselves a little bit. And uh, I've been in culinary competitions myself, myself and thought, oh, if I only did this. And it's really about um, pushing ourselves and um, coming up with some creative names. So that name, Kitchen Warrior, which uh, I actually eventually trademarked, um, it's something that I use on a regular basis. I even have groups of people. We have a whole lot of fun. What I normally don't tell most of my uh, teams that are competing against each other is everybody wins, you know, uh, because at the end we all get to sit and eat together. And it's not a, you know, the loser uh, goes home hungry. You know, um, that's one thing that my mom used to say to me, when you cook a recipe and it didn't work, just eat it. You know, get rid of the evidence, right? <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> advice. So, oh, so. well. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I really want to thank you because, you know, the work that you're doing is really, really important on so many levels. You're blazing trails for Indigenous peoples in the culinary arts, but you're also an educator. Um, you're also sharing you know, cultural knowledge that you've gained over time. And, you know, some of the principles that I have got listening to you is, is about the importance of the importance of food. You know, it sustains us, but it, it brings us all together as family and community. It's about appreciating that food, sharing it with other people, not wasting food. And it's, and it, can be a way of, of tying us to our family, our community, our culture. Um, it's a place, you know, cooking is a place where you can be sharing stories and togetherness. And, and I think that is just really uplifting. That is really um, about warrior living. It's good for the, you know, mind, body and spirit. And, and I, and I really appreciate the work you do. And, you know, I hope, I hope you continue for a long time. I hope maybe we can have you back uh, on this podcast and, um, you know, talk more about your work because it's, it's ongoing. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate you being here. Well, all in my friend. Well, thank you. Uh, and I guess maybe next time, maybe you and I should cook together and then we could do a podcast while we're cooking. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm such a foodie and I've got so many recipe books and that would be awesome. Okay, well, that's... Can I, can uh, I ask you a question, Pam, before yeah, we go? Sure. I want to ask, what, what's your favorite dish to eat or cook, I should say? Cook my my favorite is fish. And the reason why it's my favorite is because um, I'm from the Mi'kmaq Nation, which is on the east coast of Turtle Island. So, so much seafood, like oh, wow. so much seafood. And it just reminds me of being a kid. It reminds me of my family. And for my family now, it's super quick to cook. Oh, absolutely. And it's really healthy for us too. Yeah, totally healthy. Like, I mean, all the science is only catching up to us now. 
but you know all of the ways in which fish is good for your brain and your body and protein and you know everything i just i love it so i love that you had a whole chapter dedicated to the beings that live in the sea yeah i have to tell you a quick short story about that i i did those uh, kissing the fish and filleting the fish in my basement uh, we we set up our lights to, to take the photos and that and i remember saying, oh, I have to scale this fish. And so I was scaling the fish. And then I guess it was about, I don't know, about a month later, I was uh, in the set. We set up our basement back into sort of a living quarters. And then I noticed these little black spots all over the walls. And I know there were scales from fish. Oh, but, no. <laughs> which I guess I missed cleaning. <laughs> no. That's awesome. That? That's really awesome. My recommendation is you should scale outside next time. Uh, next time, <laughs> or in an industrial, in industrial kitchen. Right? <laughs> Lessons learned from a, a professional chef. You got it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I hope you come back. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into my show. I really hope you enjoyed listening to uh, Chef David Wolfman, the legit kitchen warrior. What I'll do is I'll post some links to his website in my description box so that you can go in and watch some of his previous shows if you haven't already. And I'll also post a link to his cookbook so that you can check out some of his great recipes. And like I said, check out that fish chapter. And if you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing to it, liking it, or sharing it with all your friends and family. And make sure to leave me your show ideas, questions, comments, or just general impressions in the comment section. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. But you can follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter, and I talk about warrior living and healthy living, food and nutrition. Or you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing our Native people. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walalia.